All right, thank you for that good singing this afternoon, all three of you. <clears throat> hey, uh, you know, this is a crowd. When I first started preaching, this is a real crowd for me. Uh, back in uh, Syracuse, America, uh, where I was, uh, had my first pastorate, and uh, four people voted to call us to uh, pastor there, and so... Uh, we were thankful when those four people would show up, and uh, and then a few others as well. And uh, I've even taught some college classes with more people or less people than we have here this afternoon, so uh, I'm thankful you're here. Uh, if you weren't here, well, my wife doesn't want to hear this message again, but uh, she says, I've heard this before. Romans chapter 8, by the way, uh, we've kind of decided that April the 11th, I think that's a Saturday, is work day here, it's probably the best day to, I know some of our ladies will be at the ladies retreat, but it's probably the best day to kind of get the yard raked up and some things done here before some special event the next Saturday. So, uh, in other words, we've got company coming, so we better get uh, the place spruced up a little bit. So April 11th, that's uh, weather permitting. Uh, there is work inside as well as outside, so one or the other, we're going to be uh, doing some things there on April the 11th right now. Romans chapter 8 this afternoon. Uh, well, we're continuing to look at the, the spirit life um, <clears throat> and to... Uh, We talked about the deliverance of the spirit life uh, last week, uh, beginning in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And this afternoon, we will look at the differences of the spirit life and continuing on, starting in verse 5. Uh, This is kind of a major shift for uh, in thinking for the Apostle Paul in this particular book. Uh, He introduces several aspects of life transformed by the Spirit of God, and this chapter is all about the new life we have in the Spirit, or of uh, the new life of the Spirit that we have uh, in Christ. In the first four verses, he spoke of the deliverance, as I mentioned there, and now we're going to look at the differences. Uh, it's in my estimation that uh, this is probably one of the greatest, most important passages of the Scripture. Aren't they all? Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you get to a certain passage that, boy, this is really important. And uh, I know that the whole Bible is important. I don't discount that at all. But uh, the reason why this is so important is because it addresses the matter of the mind. Uh, The Bible's clear in its teaching that how a man thinks determines what manner of man he really is. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Uh, The mind is a very important thing. Uh, whatever a man focuses his mind upon is what that man will reproduce in his life. Whatever a man uh, thinks about uh, is going to determine what kind of a person he is. You know, evil thoughts, thinking evil thoughts will produce evil actions. By the way, you don't do anything without thinking about it first. Uh, you know, some people use that excuse, oh, I didn't think. I just did it. I didn't think. 
Well, maybe we didn't sit down and contemplate it uh, before we did it, and maybe we just kind of did it. But there was some thought that went through our minds at some point that led us to do something that we thought we, uh, or we like to use the excuse, I didn't think before I did it. But thinking evil will produce evil actions. Thinking godly thoughts will produce godly action. And that's why the Word of God is so clear when it speaks about the change that is needed in the minds of men. Romans 12 and verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the changes that the Spirit produces in the mind and the resulting changes in every area of life are the focus of this particular text. And we're going to spend a few minutes in that this afternoon. So notice, first of all, the difference of the mind. Excuse me, the difference of the mind in the, uh, in the mind of the believer. The difference in the mind of the believer. And we start out by talking about the desires of the mind are changed. Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Paul, uh, first of all, addresses the contrast that we have that exists between the natural man, the natural mind of man, and a mind that's been transformed by the Spirit of God. And the whole idea here is that the natural bent or orientation of the natural man's thinking is always directed toward the things that pertain to the flesh. In other words, the carnal mind is going to focus on the physical, the material, the selfish concerns. It may think about religion, but it will be a religion based on what it can do for him. And there are many thoughts about God, but that will be thoughts about how to approach God on his own term. Generally, however, the carnal mind is filled with thoughts that center around ways to gratify the flesh. And of course, this is what the Bible teaches us about the lost man and his mind. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 10, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in lust of uncleanness and despise government. I don't think it's talking necessarily about Washington, D.C. there. I think it's talking about discipline and, and government of ourselves, governing ourselves, you know, or letting the Spirit of God govern us, okay? Chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government or discipline or control, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Again, it's not talking about dignities like the President of the United States or, or that kind of dignity. But they're just afraid to speak evil. Uh, they're not afraid to speak of, about those who have authority in their life. Philippians 3.19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now that's certainly the uh, mindset of a lost person, and sometimes it can be the mindset of some carnal Christians, some Christians who are not right with God, who are uh, trying to be more concerned about earthly things than they are heavenly things. Now, a good question here is, do you mind the things of the flesh? 
Maybe you've heard that expression used maybe by a mother who's speaking about her child when she says, well, that young'un, she just won't mind me. Hear that? They won't mind me. What do they mean when a parent says, my child won't mind me? It means they won't obey me. Paul uses the word mind here when he said they mind the things of the flesh. Uh, We've seen this before in chapter 6. You see, if you live habitually in the flesh and you obey the things of the flesh and the new nature doesn't rebuke you, you must have not have the new nature because they that are after the spirit mind the things of the uh, of the spirit. It says in verse 5 here, They that are after the flesh do mind or obey the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the f- and the word mind isn't there, but it's implied, mind the things of the Spirit. You know, a believer who's been given a new nature now can yield himself to the new nature, and this is an act of his will. Uh, it's a struggle that's brought on, uh, to our attention. The flesh describes, of course, the natural man. Lord Jesus said in John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We're in a struggle. We're in a battle. And if you're not in a struggle, and you don't know about the battle, maybe you're not saved. And yet you're not alone in the battle. Once I took uh, some juniors to camp. This was not Camp Shatek, but was to another camp, which shall remain unnamed, but uh, here in Wisconsin. But it was, I was walking around the campground, and I was making sure all of our campers got settled in. And a lady came up to me and asked me if I was in charge. So I was standing there, she said, you just look like someone in authority. I don't even think I was wearing a tie. Well, she was a mother who had brought some boys to camp, and one of them was her boy. And she was concerned about another boy that she had brought that would come along, uh, that she that came along, but he was a bully. I guess she was concerned about her son, wanted someone to know that there's another boy who wasn't very nice to other boys. He was a bully, and that's what I'm reminded of here. It's like. Uh, the little boy coming home from school who was being beaten up by a big bully and he was always pounding on him heavily and he looked up from his defeated position on the bottom and he saw his big brother coming and his big brother took care of the bully while the little fellow crawled away uh, on a, and sat on a stump and rubbed his bruises. Well, the believer has the Holy Spirit to deal with the flesh. That flesh is that bully that's trying to destroy you. And we have a big brother in the Holy Spirit that comes along and helps take care of that. I hope you've learned, as I have, that we can't overcome the flesh on our own. We can't do it on our own. We have to turn it over to somebody who can, and the Holy Spirit indwells us, and He wants to do that for us, and He can. Amen? Now, here it says, they that are after the flesh. Again, that describes the natural man. Paul paints this picture in Ephesians 2, 
1 to 3, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also, also uh, whom also we had all our, had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This was the condition of all uh, all of us until we were saved. And the flesh includes the mind. Colossians one twenty one. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind. By wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. See, it includes the total personality which is completely alienated from God. And the natural man even set his heart upon the things of the flesh. So, and that's so obvious in our world today that people are set on, their minds are set on the things of the world, the things of the flesh. And they're more concerned about what they can get and what they can do and, and the, how they can satisfy the flesh than they are about anything else. Galatians five nineteen gives us this natural man's diet. This is what he eats, this is what he feeds on. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do things uh, do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, it's an ugly picture, and it's an ugly picture of our world today. You don't have to go very far uh, down the street here in Spooner to find a whole bunch of these things list that I've list, just listed. Colossians 3, 8 and 9. But now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew fifteen nineteen, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemy. But listen, what a change is manifested in the lives of those that have been redeemed. When it says, they that are after the Spirit, here in our text, it's referring to those who have been saved. Born again. Regenerated. Indwelt by the Spirit of God. While the saved do falter, we do falter from time to time, the saved, their minds are filled with thoughts of heavenly things. These uh, are people who love God and all the things that pertain to Him. They love His Word. They love His people. They love His house. They love His worship. And we could go on and on and on. The Spirit of God redirects our thinking, the re- thinking of the redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You know, a good question to ask ourselves is, of what character are the thoughts that fill our minds? And depending on how we would answer that question, we can learn a lot about ourselves. So the first thing we see here is that the desires of the mind are changed. Secondly, the directions of the mind are changed. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
For to be carnally minded means that you are separated from the fellowship with God. And that flesh is death. That flesh is death here and now. The spirit who indwells the believer brings life and peace. When we sin, we come to him in confession and let him wash us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, even as Christians, as believers, as people who are children of God, we still have that tendency to, in our selfishness, to sin. Now, we haven't lost our position in Christ. We're still in Christ. We're still His children. But we have lost our fellowship. And our fellowship needs to be restored through that confession. The life He offers speaks of full satisfaction and exercise of one's total abilities. We need to live life to its fullest and best. Now that's a different thing for the people of the world. When they think fullest and the best, they think beer and booze and all that kind of stuff, you know? They think, what what brand is the, the best for me? Not for the born-again Christian. He's not concerned about living his life devoted to material things and physical things. Many people think that they're really living today. They're not even close. It's a very poor substitute of the life that God really wants people to have. And the word peace here. Be spiritually minded is life and peace. Peace means experience the tranquility and the well-being regarding the present and the future. A lot of people today are really struggling with their life and they have no peace. And they're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow down the line. Peace is tranquility and well-being concerning right now and the days ahead. One thing for sure, if you're living in the flesh and you're a child of God, you're not having fellowship with God. You can't. The Lord Jesus in the upper room said to Simon Peter, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And I think he meant that. He will not fellowship with you and me if we're committing sin and we're continuing to live in the flesh. Well, somebody says, what are we to do? Do what Simon Peter had to do. Stick out his feet and let the Lord wash him. You and I need to, to go to God in confession as we've already talked about 1 John 1, nine. Speaking to believers here, Believers are living the flesh. We need to confess that sin and get right with God because He promises to cleanse us. If you're a child of God, sin is going to have an effect on you. On the one hand, you can try to control that old nature. You can try to train that old nature and you can live with it, but it doesn't work. Or you can confess the sin, turn the flesh over to the Spirit and say, Spirit of God, you control my life. Someone put it like this, to hope to do better is to fail to see yourself in Christ only. To hope to do better is to fail to see yourself in Christ only. You say, I hope to do better. No, you won't. 
You need to see yourself in Christ and realize only the Spirit of God can accomplish that. You can't accomplish it. I can't do it. Someone else said, well, to be disappointed with yourself means you believed in yourself. You might say, well, I'm so disappointed in myself. Well, you'd better be disappointed in yourself. You know, no good thing is going to come out of the flesh. Stop believing in yourself. You know what people say today? Just believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. That's all you need to do. You can do it. Just believe in yourself. You know, you're the one that's important here. I'm not important. The Lord Jesus Christ is. No good thing is going to come out of the flesh. Stop believing in yourself. Believe in the Spirit of God who will enable you to live the new nature. Here's another one. To be discouraged is unbelief. Ever been discouraged? You might say, oh, I'm so discouraged. Well, listen, that means you don't believe God. You see, God has a purpose and a plan and a blessing for you. And you need to lay hold of that. Now, do we get discouraged? Yes, we do. But maybe when we get discouraged, we're not trusting the Lord. We're not believing God. That He's going to work His plan in our lives. And then, to be proud is to be blind. We have no standing before God in ourselves. Oh, how we need to see ourselves as God sees us. So the desires of the mind are changed. The directions of the mind are changed. And then thirdly, the devotions of the mind are changed. Verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Paul tells us that the carnal mind is really the enemy of God. Why is this true? It's because the carnal mind desires to be God. The carnal mind is bent on overthrowing God, determined to enthrone itself as God in an unbeliever's life, and even some believers' lives. But as a result, it refuses to walk in the will of God. And in truth, the carnal mind is so filled with evil that it cannot walk in the will of God. The lost, the carnal mind, is totally opposed to anything having to do with God. And what may appear to be good in the life of a lost person is still tainted. You know, we say that person, they're, oh, they're such nice people. They're such good people. But that's really tainted if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's still sin in their heart. Their motives and their sin tarnishes all that they do. No matter how good it is, even on his best day, he's still God's rival. He's still God's sworn enemy. He's still at enmity with God if he does not know Christ. Sometimes it's hard for us to really understand that, and it's hard for other people to say that when they don't recognize their sin, that they're lost in their sin. And what Paul does not say 
But what is true nonetheless is the fact that the spiritual mind or the mind of the saved person finds itself drawn away from the things which please the flesh and drawn toward the things which please the Lord. What the flesh cannot produce in us, the Holy Spirit does produce. And the saint of God finds that he can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord and that he can produce by the power of the Spirit of God. What a difference. What a Savior. Now, that's certainly not to say that a believer is absolutely perfect. I know that because I know myself. And yet when Paul refers to the sin of the believer, he is quick to point out that that sin occurs in a sinful mortal body and not within the redeemed new inner nature. Go back to Romans chapter 7 there. Think about what he said there. But when we are saved, there is a part of us sealed off forever. Our spirits are sealed against the sin and the incapable are incapable of that practice of sin any longer. Ephesians 4 verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Our flesh, on the other hand, is an, as evil as it has ever been, and we're locked into that never-ending battle with it. We're not free from the flesh until we go home to be with the Lord. Maybe that's one of the reasons why we look for His coming. The believer will not be free from the flesh until he goes home to be with the Lord. And while we're here, though, we must fight. And the fight is real. The battle is real. But it's a fight that we're empowered to win. The flesh is strong, but the Spirit of God within us is stronger. 1 John 4, 4. Ye are children of God, uh, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And therefore we must prove the reality of our claims of salvation by living a life that's devoted to the Lord and his perfect will. You know, considering what Paul has already said about the changes and the what happens in the mind of one saved by grace. How do we measure up? How does our life look this afternoon? Can we see evidence of a changed life? I trust you can't. So the first thing we see here is a difference in the mind of the believer. Secondly, a deliverance in the motive. A difference in the motives of the believer. And we go to verse 8 here and we see the charge against the flesh life. Verse 8. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I've already touched on that, but it's clearly stated here in this verse. And so those who are controlled by the flesh, who live in the flesh, who walk in the flesh, who have their mind centered on the flesh, are simply not going to please the Lord. They're so far removed from all that God is that they cannot possibly please Him. According to the Bible, Hebrews 11 and verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The only way to please the Lord is exercise faith. Faith is one element of the spirit are the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And since the Spirit or the flesh cannot produce that which is spiritual, it stands to reason that the flesh cannot please the Lord. So you have the charge against the flesh life. 
In verse 9, then, we come to the change apparent in the spirit life. Verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Here's one of the greatest verses about the indwelling of the spirit of God. When you get saved, you get the indwelling spirit of God. He comes in to your life. Paul contrasts that what he's been saying with those who have been saved. He's telling us that when we've received Jesus as our Savior, we're changed realms of existence. We're taken out of the flesh life, placed in a new life in the Spirit. We've placed in a position from which we can serve the Lord, live lives that please Him. And the bottom line is that those who are saved by grace, walking in the Spirit, will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, as we saw there in Galatians 5. And that's the difference that Paul's trying to get across to us here this afternoon. We're no longer what we were. Thank God for that. But now we're literally a new creature by the power of the Spirit of God. Now this last sentence in verse 9 is very interesting. The last sentence there says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Tells us that a believer will demonstrate the reality of his new birth by exhibiting the Spirit of Christ. And while this verse speaks of the new life, the believer should live in Christ, it is also a reminder to us to receive, that we receive the Holy Spirit at the time of our conversion. Now that's contrary to some teaching today. And yet, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. And that's why we are counseled to put our faith to test to be sure that we're children of God. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not uh, your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you except ye be reprobates. And if you're saved, you possess the Holy Spirit. The key is becoming that person who is pleasing to the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to possess more of you. Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So we have a difference in the mind of the believer. We have a difference in the motives of the believer. And then thirdly, we have a difference in the members of the believer. The Spirit of God changes how we think. It changes how we're driven as we go through life. And these verses here, beginning in verse 10, will tell us how we change, how He changes how we act. There are definite changes that happen in a life. and These changes will make their way from the inside to the outside. Notice, first of all, a change... Change in our members, verse 10 and 11. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Uh, Verse 10 and 11 fit together to teach us that the Spirit of God moves into our spirit. He produces changes in the way our body acts. Anyone who claims Jesus as his or her Savior 
and doesn't manifest, doesn't show any change in the way they live, you have to question if they really are saved. There's no change. There may not have been salvation. There might have been a profession, but not a possession. It's not to say that believers don't sin. I think we have already established that. But if salvation is real in a person's life, there is a new desire to honor God with their life. Now, they may not do it very well to begin with, but they have a desire to serve the Lord. Paul's trying to teach us the fact that the Spirit of God will make us become vastly different than we are by nature. Will when we get saved, we become perfect? No. There's a process of sanctification that takes place in a life. Growth. The Bible calls it growth. Growing in the Lord. Our flesh will flee the things it used to run to, though, and it'll seek the things we used to shun. And the Holy Spirit will produce the life of Christ in the life of a saint, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, according to Colossians 1.27. So we have a change in our members. We have a challenge to our members. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Again, this verse serves to remind us we're not obligated to live after the flesh any longer. In fact, we're dead to the flesh and alive in the Spirit of God. And if we wish to discharge a debt... Let it be the debt we owe Christ for the price he paid to deliver us from the bondage of sin and the sentence of judgment. We need to live for the Lord who suffered and died for us. You know, if someone jumped in front of a moving car and pushed you out of the way of the path of that car, you would be indebted to them. Well, Jesus died on the cross, and we're indebted to Him. He pushed away the penalty that you and I deserve to pay. We're indebted to Him. We need to honor Him. Now, it's a challenge that we have to live up to. So there's a change in our members, a challenge to our members, and there's a caution. Verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Even though we're saved, we still have the potential to live in the flesh. And anyone who tells you that a Christian cannot sin, they're a liar. Uh, That's just not true. The Bible is very clear that uh, we are capable of sinning after we've been saved. Just read 1 John 1. However... We must be aware that the living substandard, uh, living a substandard life, Christ lives uh, to bring that to death. Now we cannot go to hell. We're saved. We have everlasting life, but we certainly can be chastened by the hand of God. And it says you need to get right before God, and I'm going to discipline you until you do. So we have the Spirit of God living within us. We have the power to mortify, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And as we do this, we will assuredly live lives that honor the Lord. 
You know that old saying, the proof is in the pudding? Well, a life that is touched and changed by Jesus will be a life that lives a new kind of life. There's no change. There wasn't any conversion. So as we, as we finish, then, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Verse 13. That is, die to God, you will have no fellowship with Him. I'm not talking about theory here. If you're a child of God, you know this from experience. If you're a child of God and you've got unconfessed sin in your life, your life, what happens when you have sin in your life? You're not really as anxious or eager, I should say, to get to church, are you? If you're living in sin. Maybe that's why some people don't come to church, because there's sin in their life, and they're not really eager to hear God's Word. Uh, They don't want to read their Bible. They don't want to spend time in prayer. You know that. When there's sin in our lives, we're not so eager to get to the church. We're not so eager to read our Bibles, not so eager to pray. Because we're separated from God. We're not in fellowship with Him. But if ye through the Spirit, that is, you can't do it yourself, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now that, verse 13, is practical. What's your problem this afternoon? Liquor? Drugs? Sex? You say, Pastor, you know us better than that. We don't have those kind of problems. Then how about your thought life? How about your tongue? Do you tell the truth? Do you live the truth? Or are you living a lie? Whatever the problem is, confess it to God. Turn it over to the Spirit of God. Sin is sin, no matter what it is. It may not be murder, it may not be stealing, it may not be something we consider a terrible sin, but sin is sin, and we see that we must deal with it in reality. We don't need some psychiatrist with some humanistic worldly philosophy. They won't help us at all. They'll just shift our guilt complex to some other area, but they won't get rid of it. Only Christ can remove it. Because he's in that business. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Rest. I think we all need to closely examine our lives. Can we take an honest inventory and truly say, you know, I have been shamed. I'm not perfect, but I am different. I don't think like I used to. I don't act the same way. I want to honor God now where I used to want to honor myself. I can see where Jesus made a difference in my life. My life has changed. I trust you can say that wholeheartedly this afternoon. Let's pray. The difference of the spirit life. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've saved many of us here to this afternoon. There may be someone not saved. But Lord, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that the... Spirit of God came to live within us and changed us, gave us a whole new desire about life, gave us a whole new direction. We thank you, Lord, for the Spirit of God living within us. And we pray, Lord, that as we see sin in our lives, that we'll be sure to confess it, even as we talked about this morning. 
because we know you're faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us, and we're thankful for that. Lord, bless this message to our hearts and this passage to help us some, give us something to meditate upon in the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 353 as we close this afternoon. 353. Let's stand as we sing, Search me, O God, and know my heart today.